Part three, chapter eight of the power of a lie by Johann Boya, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When at length the day for the dinner could be fixed, it became a busy time for Fru Thora. She managed to get it agreed to that for once they should try to kindle exhilaration without the aid of strong drink. There should be only homemade wine and milk. To make up for this, she got hold of the best members of the young men's club, and began to rehearse a play that was to be acted after the dinner. She also intended to decorate the walls of the large town hall, in which the dinner was to be held, in a way that would form a suitable frame to the guest of honour. When at last the great day arrived, she was both worn out and nervous for, as usual, when one person is energetic and throws himself heart and soul into a matter, the other members of the dinner committee had sat down and left everything to her. In the afternoon of that day she heard that Fru Wangen was still confined to her bed, whereupon Fru Thora very quickly made up her mind that she should not take part in any gaiety that evening without first having inquired about the poor woman. If there was nothing else to be done, she would offer to take her in for a time, and the children with her. When she came to the little cottage among the fir-trees in which the Vongans had last lived, she found the door locked and the shutters before the windows. An uncomfortable fear made her actually run up to the farm, where she met a girl who was drawing up water from a well. "'Where is Fru Vongen?' she asked. "'She is up in an attic here.' said the girl. I suppose I can go up to her? The girl shook her head. Fru Wangen would not even speak to the master, and both the priest and the doctor had come to see her, and she would not see either of them. Oh, but do go up and tell her it's me, said Fru Thora. The girl took the bucket and went, but when she came out on to the steps again she shook her head. Fru Wangen wanted to be alone. Besides, the girl then added, she had got up and was going to see her children. "'But what is she going to do now?' asked Fru Thora. "'Nobody knows,' said the girl. "'She doesn't say a word about it.' Fru Thora had tears in her eyes as she went homewards. Of course this dinner for Norby must wound Fru Wangen, but it really could not be helped. Guilt is guilt, and reparation must be made to the innocent.' It was Saturday afternoon, and the dinner was at seven. The last loads of hay had been driven in from the fields, and the well-raked hills had taken on a soft dark green colour, while the leafy slopes had here and there begun to get golden patches, upon which the sun shone. When, at about six o'clock, the first carriages drove up towards the town hall, they met near the fjord a tall pale woman hurrying along with bent head. It was Fru Wangen. Her little faded straw hat seemed to have been put on in a hurry, and stood off too much from her head, raised by the quantity of fair hair that still lay like a crown above her pale, beautiful face. When she got out to the ridge that descends steeply to the fjord, she saw no more carriages in front of her, and seated herself upon a stone by the wayside. She rested her elbows on her knees, and her chin in her hands, and gazed out over the fjord whose calm surface reflected the red clouds in the sky. 
When she had seen the children, where should she go? What should she do? Could she keep both herself and them? Or, oh no, she ought not to think of that now, for thinking was what she could not and dared not do. She passed her hand across her forehead and sighed. I must take care, she thought, that what is in there doesn't get loose, for then I might go mad, and then I shouldn't be allowed even to see the children. She had a letter from Wangen that day. He said that he was trying to obtain a pardon. But she was not equal to further faith. She could not believe in his innocence any more. If he had only confessed it at first, at any rate to her. But now! Her father had been right. Her father! The whole thing overwhelmed her like a terrible darkness. Suddenly she started up and hurried on. She must manage to reach the children before dark for she dared not be out alone when it was dark. When the carriage drove down the avenue from Norby Farm, the two daughters sat opposite their parents, and Einar with the coachman on the box. Einar had come home quite unexpectedly. That evening, when he rode across to Buvixeta, he had met with a great disappointment. The doctor's daughter had left for the valley that afternoon. From that time Einar found it unbearable up on the mountains. It was no help now, in his expeditions over the moors, to look over to Buvixeta. The disgrace he had fled from now met him both out of doors and indoors, and his eagerness to reach this young woman thereby became greater than ever. So he packed up his things and set off. He must catch her up. He must know for a certainty whether she cared for him or not. At home he settled down in a wonderful way. The good conscience that every one there had was infectious, and he could not but feel glad that his parents should now be rewarded for all their troubles with this dinner. It was high time that he, too, gave up his ugly suspicion. As he sat upon the box, he gazed at the carriages that were driving up to the flag-decorated town hall. Would she be there this evening? Marit Norby looked handsome as she sat leaning a little towards her husband, dressed in a silk dress and light straw bonnet. Knut, however, was by no means happy, for as he grew to feel himself more and more firmly in the right, he had become more indifferent to the respect of the district. Fancy if people were making this fuss because they were sorry for him. In that case he would like to tell them that they were mistaken. There was nothing the matter with him yet. Nevertheless, as he saw carriage after carriage drive up to the town hall, a smile played about the corners of his mouth, for he was thinking of Mads Herlufsen. Would he come? Or was he sitting at home sulking? In that case, Norby would like to see him. As they drove into the yard of the town hall, Einar saw the doctor's gig driving away. There was room for only two in it, the doctor and his wife so she was not there. He had been so anxious about this for days and nights past that the disappointment was very great, and for a moment he lost all desire to go in. Something awoke in him that shook him and said, What are you about, Einar? Between two flags on the steps stood the bailiff and Fru Thora of Lirende to receive the guests of honour, and Einar slowly followed the others up the steps. Laura, who today was wearing her first light silk dress, 
grew suddenly red when she noticed a beardless youth standing in the passage and looking at her. It was the bailiff's son, who had just taken his degree in forestry. "'I wonder if he will take me in to dinner,' she thought, her heart beginning to beat. The only person who lived in the town-hall building was the midwife of the district, who had two rooms in one wing. There the pastor's wife was now busy, at the head of a flock of maids, serving the dinner. She was both angry and in despair, because the railway hotel, which was providing the dinner, had forgotten to send gravy with the joint, and now a servant came and said that Norby had come, and that people were sitting down to table. "'Who's asked them to sit down to table?' cried the pastor's wife. "'A nice dinner committee they are!' and she rushed to the telephone and rang up violently. "'Hello? Are you never going to let us have that gravy?' End of Part 3 Chapter 8